This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Church, my name is Pastor Brad, and uh, th- that feels a little hot to me, so if you can turn the volume down a little bit, just in the event I get excited later, which probably won't happen. Eh. Hey, Keith, c- can you come up here for a second? Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. Well, maybe a little. <clears throat> That's a great looking shirt. <laughs> Thank you. you. Hey, what are you going to wear tomorrow? I'm not telling. <laughs> okay. That, this is completely unplanned, folks. Today, uh, Pastor Keith and I decided to dress like middle-aged uh, men for some reason. <laughs> Sabbath. You know, that's not a... It, it still feels hot to me right now. There's some uh, reverb. Is, do you guys hear that? Okay. Uh, I'm just going to kind of keep going and they'll figure it out. So the Sabbath, this is not a term that we're, uh, we use in everyday parlance, you know. Uh, if, if you happen to be of Jewish religious tradition, you would use this word because it's, uh, it's the day that Jewish folks worship, which is Saturday, as you know. But in our busy world, uh, as followers of Jesus or, uh, people that are considering following Jesus. This notion of Sabbath is not something that uh, is, is common anymore. I remember a day, and perhaps some of you do as well, when on the Sabbath or on, on the Lord's Day, as, as, uh, as Christians have come to call this particular day, when there was no sports and no shopping because there were no stores that were open. Do any of you remember that? You can raise your hand, yeah. Uh, I, in fact, it, I lived in a community where the, I think it was referred to as blue laws, if I'm not mistaken. There was this sensibility in culture at that time. And I, and I, and I realize as I'm saying this that some of you are looking back in those days and wistfully and going, oh yeah, wouldn't that be great? Where we didn't have, we, we couldn't go shopping, we couldn't, you know, do this or do that on a Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? I'm not, this is not going to be a sermon advocating for that, but it is, uh, at least I want, I want for us to reflect on the reality that, that culture has changed. Even in the, in a very short period of time, even in my lifetime, and my lifetime hasn't, is not that long, you know, I'm 24 years old and. <laughs> Anyway, blue laws were an attempt by somebody some, at some point to uh, to take seriously this passage that we just read a moment ago. But here's the problem: it was it was an incomplete attempt to address issues of holy rest, as I'm calling it, Sabbath, which are really issues of the heart and not something that can be legislated. And for some reason, we followers of Jesus like to legislate everything that we possibly can, because then it makes it easier for us, I I think, to know what's permissible for us to do and what's impermissible. So if the laws say we can't go shopping on Sundays, we say, okay, you know, and we complain about it and we blame the the lawmakers, but but we don't have to make the decision. And I think in this text, if, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, which I hope is not true... 
But um, it's that Jesus is wanting the religious leaders who are complaining and whining and accusing him of breaking the law to understand that that holy rest, this idea of Sabbath, this idea of having a a period of time in the midst of, of your life where you stop is not something that can be legislated. It's something that comes out from within us. A few years ago, sociologist named Juliet Shore wrote a book entitled The Overworked American. What a, you know, what a great title. I read it. And in this book, she observed that even though technology, that is, you know, the, the speed of cooking a burrito in the microwave has got faster and faster and faster. You know, I, I remember, well, it just happened to me yesterday. I, I put some of these uh, cookies that are that you you uh, buy in a in a bag. You put them in the microwave. You hit it for thirty seconds, and you got these nice, warm, you know, straight out of the oven tasting cookies. And I'm standing there waiting for thirty seconds, going, "Okay, what's the deal? Why is this taking so long?" <laughs> there was a there was a time when if you wanted to have fresh baked cookies, guess what? Somebody had to bake them. So Juliet Shore, in, in, in writing about the overworked American, makes the observation that even though there has been an increase in speed and efficiency in how we do work, you would think that with the extra time that we have, because we do everything faster and more efficient, we would have more time for leisure, right? It's not true. You know why? Because we have filled that extra time with more work so that we can have higher income, so that we can have a higher standard of living and go to exotic places on vacation and drive nicer cars. So what in effect has happened as as technology has increased the level of efficiency in our lives um, and given us space potentially to just rest once in a while, we have filled that space with more work so that, and I already told you what's happened. I was talking with somebody uh, this past week who said to me, you know, I get to the end of the summer and I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I know. I know what that feels like. Because I've only lived here just about a year and I can, I can already see the character of how Alaskans live. You, you, um, you hide in your homes watching uh, multiple episodes of your favorite television show night after night after night through the winter... It's true. And in the summer, when the sun comes out, especially if it's a nice summer like the one that we're in presently right now, uh, guess what? As long as there's light, we're doing something. So it's, a, it's really a binge and purge kind of a culture. And at the end of the summer, I know what's going to happen. You guys are going to all be so exhausted, you're going to stop coming to church. Is that in my notes? So, so, you know, what's the downside of this, uh, sort of this obsession with work? I think one of the downsides with our, uh, our obsession with work is more people than ever before suffer from things like sleeplessness and often requiring some kind of sleep aid. If you don't believe me, just, uh, ask Bruce Stockhouse, a physician, how much Ambien he, uh, writes prescriptions for, for people that can't sleep. 
More people than ever uh, have various forms of anxiety, which often lead to, you know, at the very least, mild depression, sadness. Uh, uh, um, what, what is this when you don't have enough light? Yeah, seasonal effect disorder. It's related, folks. And we fall into bed, and our lives are, are more fractured than ever. And we're tired. Well, I think Jesus has something to say about this. I don't think, I know he does. And in, in fact, the text that we read this morning um, gives us a, a little bit of an insight into the, t- to the struggle that Jesus was even having with the religious leaders of his day. In fact, before Jesus had something to say about this, God had something to say about this. In fact, at the very beginning of creation, God, we are told, creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he does what? Rest. And in a little uh, later on in the book of Exodus and also in Deuteronomy, we have these, these, these commandments that God gives to the people of God to help them have uh, a framework for understanding what healthy living looks like. And one of those commandments, it's one that we often will pass over, but it's one of the Ten Commandments. God says, six days you will do all of your work, and on the seventh day you will rest. So if there's anybody here today who um, is feeling kind of proud about the fact that you haven't broken any of the Ten Commandments lately, I'd like you to make an argument for this one, because I think all of us break this all the time. Well, Jesus finds himself with his disciples in this passage that we looked at a moment ago, walking through uh, the countryside and they get a little hungry. And they happen to be uh, walking on the Sabbath, this legislated day of rest. And they begin to eat some grain that they pick off the, the fields as they're walking by. Maybe, maybe they did it out of boredom. Maybe they did it because, you know, like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, they wanted to have something to kind of have in their mouth. But whatever the case, they were eating grain, and the Pharisees, the, the people of the law, the religious folks, remember we talked about them last week, they saw this, and they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law. Don't you realize, Jesus, that... This is a holy day, this Sabbath, and we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to eat, uh, uh, or actually, eating's not the problem. We're not supposed to plow the field on the Sabbath. So, by flicking off the, the end of a grain, they had violated that law. Well, Jesus engages the Pharisees by Referring them back to the story of David, and we saw that in the text, the story where David and a number of his his warriors uh, had to hide in the temple because they were being pursued. Um, and uh, while they were there, they ate some of the food that had been offered to the temple and consecrated to God. And uh, Jesus says, "You know, look at there's exceptions." In fact, Jesus goes on to say in this very text that even the temple workers themselves, the priests, uh, on the Sabbath work. I, I'm always amused when I um, I go to a local coffee uh, place here in town every Sunday morning. It's part of my routine. I think the reason I do it is because 
um, I get my shot of sugar in order to f- uh, be able to make it through the day. But uh, the the uh, person behind the counter will often say to me, "So how how is your uh, your Sunday going today? Are you going to be doing anything fun today?" And I look at him and I say, "I'm working." So, so Jesus points out in this text that e- those of us who work on the Sabbath, even that's an exception. But, but for the Pharisees, that's not enough. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees, if you're going to call me on the carpet for breaking a lo- the law, for eating a few heads of grain on the Sabbath, don't you think you should take a, a look at yourself and your own behavior? That's in effect what Jesus, how he responds. And then Jesus drops the, uh, the bomb on these unsuspecting uh, religious critics when he says in verse 6, I tell you that one who is greater than the temple is here. Okay, for us hearing that, we're thinking, oh, you know, what's, what's the big deal? But everything in, in Judaism in that day was centered in the religious life of the temple. The temple was among the highest authority of that culture. And what Jesus is saying is, guess what, folks? I trump the temple. Now, that, and that's going to make a religious leader who spends his life devoted to sort of propping up the authority of the temple a little nervous, right? But that's, in effect, what Jesus is saying. That would be... The equivalent of me standing on the sidewalk in downtown Anchorage and saying, There's more to life than hunting and fishing and shopping for quiche souvenirs. You get that? See, it would be insulting to to people. And in fact, in this case, that's what happened. These people were insulted. And Jesus was essentially saying to the religious leaders, Look, the the purpose of the Sabbath is, is not about some checklist of rules and regulations that we have to keep. The purpose of the Sabbath is to rest so that we remember the God who created both work and rest. And oh, by the way, I am that God. The idea of Sabbath isn't just stopping what we are doing and doing nothing. I mean, we, we occasionally do that in our lives. And for some of us, that actually could be helpful. Uh, but Sabbath is best understood as a kind of holy rest. A pause in the midst of our activity, of our daily and weekly routine, in which we recover the bearings that make us who we are. We, we reorient ourselves towards our Creator God. That's what holy rest is. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see over and over again places where he, with his disciples often, and sometimes by himself, would just escape from the crowds, the throngs, wherever he went. And he would go to pray and to be with his Father. That's what holy rest looks like. The, the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann describes Sabbath like this. It says, Sabbath, in the first instance, is not about worship. Because that's what we think, right? If I can just go to church three out of four Sundays a month, I am safe, I'm satisfying that, that commandment. 
It's not really just about worship. It's about work stoppage. It's about withdrawal from the anxiety system of the Pharaoh. The refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption. Did you get that? The refusal to let your life be defined by how, uh, how much production and consumption you have. And the endless pursuit of private well-being. You say to me at this point, yeah, sure, that sounds really good, but you don't work for my boss. Or you might say, you don't understand. I run myself ragged all day, and I'm lucky if I get a break to go to the bathroom, much less take time for Sabbath. But this is the point. This is the point. We live in a culture of anxiety and productivity that doesn't care if they squeeze the life out of us. And when they do, there are at least a dozen people standing in line behind us to take our job so that they can have the life squeezed out of them. That is the nature of the culture that we live in. But as Brueggemann suggests, we must not let our lives be defined solely by our work, by our productivity. Because the moment that happens, folks, we lose our fundamental identity as a child of God. I remember when my dad retired after, I think he worked for 35 years uh, for the same company, uh, Pat Carr, in uh, in Renton, Washington. They they make... uh, Railroad cars, uh, they, they have subsidiary companies, Kenworth and Peterbilt Trucks, for those of you who know that. Um, and my dad was in their heavy winch division. So he spent 35 years sort of as a middle manager working for this company. And I remember when he retired, for the next three weeks, he got up at the same time every day, shaved, showered, put on a shirt, tie, read the paper, made himself a cup of coffee, but he didn't go to work. Now, there's a lot of men in, of that generation for whom their lives revolved around their work. In fact, uh, there's a lot of men of, in our generation for whom that's also true. And I think what Jesus is driving at in this text is that our lives are more significant than being a part of a cog in in a wheel of production someplace. God hardwired into our DNA. I don't have any medical proof for this. This is just instinct. Our need to find rest. God hardwired into our DNA a need for us to find holy rest. We yearn for it, but we, but we don't often know how to get it. We continue to live on this gerbil wheel of life, waiting and wondering when anything is going to change, and it never does. We secretly hope that, that we will be sick just so we can take an unplanned unbl- uh, day off for ourselves. But Jesus models for us throughout his ministry what a life of holy rest looks like. Jesus provides for us, really, this perfect picture of what, uh, of what work-life balance should look like. Even for us 
in the 21st century. Sometimes we, we, we think after we've been through a busy period of time in our, our jobs, whatever that may be, we think that's, this is why we need to take vacations. So what we do is we save up all the, the holy rest time that we don't get any, any other part of the year and we just cram it all together and we call it vacation. And we go out and we get some sun and we recharge our batteries and we have to kind of enter back into the fray in a week or two or three. The problem is, is it rarely happens. And if it does, it rarely lasts. Have you noticed that? Takes you, takes you five days of your vacation to kind of get used to the fact that you're no longer, uh, you know, in this frenetic buzz of activity. And then when your vacation's over, it takes you about a day to get back into the frenetic buzz again. I regularly talk with people who can't wait uh, for their upcoming trip to wherever. And uh, sometimes when they come back, I'll say, so how'd it go? How, how you doing? And they say, I can't, even, I can't even believe I was on vacation. The reason why vacation is not the same as holy rest is because God knows something about the rhythm of our lives that we don't. And you heard uh, Marva Don refer to this in that little segment we looked at before I stood up. There have been plenty of studies that have been done to suggest that, that we are more productive in our work when there is a regular rhythm of rest as part of our life. And uh, if you work for a company that, that doesn't do that, then they apparently haven't read those studies or aren't interested in being as productive as as some others. The point for Jesus is this. Holy rest is essential for life in God's kingdom because it recalibrates what's most important in our lives. It says it says to us and the people around us, and it most importantly says to God, hey, you know what? I'm not God and you are. This past uh, week, as many of you know, I, w- I was down in the Kenai uh, hiking, and um, it was really funny to to uh, drive down into Cooper Landing. And I, I've heard a lot about sort of this the pristine fishing on the Kenai River, and you know I have kind of this uh, river runs through it. If you've seen that movie of this lonely fly fisherman standing out in some some Montana creek, you know, doing the the ten and two. I don't know how that works. Whatever. Uh, and I get down there, and there are fishermen shoulder to shoulder, and I, and there's a sign that says, "When you cast, please try to cast in the rhythm of all the other fishermen, so you don't cross your lines." I'm going, what what kind of vacation is this? This tranquil picture of fishing in Alaska. So, so how do we find this kind of holy rest in the midst of all the busyness of our lives? That's really the $64,000 question. And Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, he provides a clue for how we do this when he says this. Solitude well practiced will break. Go ahead, you can flip to it will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. Huh, novel idea. You will find yourself and God will find you in new ways. Silence also brings Sabbath to you. You see, for Willard, for Dallas Willard, it's about finding ourselves again. It's about returning to, to that still point that is the calm center of our lives in the midst of the storm that's going on all around us. 
The key to finding holy rest is not sitting down and saying to yourself, I'm going to be, I'm going to create a moment of holy rest for myself right now. It'll never happen. The key for Willard to finding holy rest is silence and solitude. And the, and the byproduct of silence and solitude is the blessing of Sabbath. So let me um, offer you a couple suggestions on how you can incorporate holy rest into your routine if you want. The first suggestion that I want to offer you is resist the urge to always do rather than be. You know, we live in a do culture. Need to do this, need to do that. What's the first thing that somebody asks you when you go to a party? What do you do, right? When you're trying to describe yourself to someone that you don't know, you'll talk about your, your spouse, your family, maybe, you know, a hobby, but it won't take long before you say, oh, and by the way, I do this for a living. What would happen if we spent less time deriving our identity from what we've accomplished and more time trying to understand the significance of being, being, a child of God. What would happen? How would that change the way that we oriented ourselves toward our life? How would that make us more be people than do people? You see, God is, God is more concerned ultimately about who we are, about the being part of us, than He is about the doing part of us. So the next time you're tempted to divine your identity by what you do, stop and ask yourself, how does God see me right now? You, you just uh, close a big deal that makes your company a lot of money, or you're sitting by the side of the lake, exulting in the beauty around you. Does God think differently about any of those pictures? Probably not. And what does it mean? Here's another question. What does it mean for me to be loved by God right now, whatever I may be doing, rather than as a result of something that I have done? So resist the urge to always do rather than be. And that, by the way, that's harder than it looks. I know that. Second, welcome others into your practice of uh, Sabbath keeping. To, to try to establish a holy rest as part of our routine is very difficult if you and I have lived most of our lives in this sort of frenetic pace of activity. It's really difficult. Because the culture we live in is so heavily weighted towards seeing us as instruments of productivity, it's very difficult to break free from that perspective of ourselves. You know what the worst day for a pastor is of the week? Monday. Because every pastor I know, including myself, is, is looking in the mirror and saying, did I do good enough? Did anybody fall asleep on me? Did I make anybody mad? Are they going to pay me? I, I mean, this is what we do. It's crazy. So I need to take my own advice. 
welcome others into the practice of your Sabbath keeping. In other words, if you're trying to establish a rhythm of, of, of holy rest, invite other people into that. Now, here's the problem. Whenever we have people over to our house, you know, that we're trying to get to know or friends, we always clean the house first and, and, and cook some recipe that we've never cooked before. And guess what that does? It raises the level of our stress. I know of somebody who, to practice holy rest, what they do is they go, they, they order pizza from the local pizza place and they invite friends into their lives and they just sit and enjoy each other. And that's the way that they share this, this time of holy rest together. Welcome others into the practice. Doing it with others is sometimes easier for us to succeed. Uh, finally, develop healthy patterns of work-life balance. You will never achieve the kind of holy rest that you are seeking until you are ready to stop. And uh, I'm, I'm speaking to those of you, those business persons, uh, those attorneys, those high-powered engineers at one of the uh, um, oil companies right now. You will never achieve the kind of holy rest you are seeking until you're ready to stop working 70-hour weeks. You're killing yourself, and you're not even helping your company that much. Because I, I've lived a long time, and, and after, you know, 50, 55 hours, I'm not very good. And I doubt, I doubt there's many people here that can sustain that week after week after week. Finding work-life balance means that, that you, when you work, you work hard. But it also means when you are not working, you do not bring your work home with you. Now, this is more difficult than ever before. I know that because of the ease of connection. Where's my phone? Oh, it's over there. Okay. Find a time in your life where you disconnect and you don't need to send text messages or answer emails or, or check, you know, check your computer or look at the latest stock market. Take, disconnect, folks. I read in the, uh, well, I was going to say in the magazine, I read on the internet <laughs> uh, this past week about a company that has designed a new tent that the fly of the tent converts sunlight into electrical energy so that you can plug your devices in while you are camping. <laughs> what is wrong with this picture? I would not buy stock in that company if I were you. But that's what I'm talking about. The benefit of unplugging is that we return to a sense that we are ultimately not in control of our lives, but God is. And Marva Don uh, says it more eloquently than I can. A great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us. Not by becoming passive or lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our, our, our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. What if this week some of us said, I am going to devote myself to giving up my feeble attempts to be God in my own life? Wouldn't that be marvelous? You see, what, what, what really is going on 
is that when Jesus was confronted by the religious establishment about breaking the rules of the Sabbath, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't concerned about holy rest. He wasn't arguing with the, the, the leadership, the religious leadership, that the Sabbath was something that we don't have to keep anymore. It was that Jesus hadn't forgotten the point of holy rest like the religious folks had. The point is, is that God has created us as human beings to, to be who we are most uh, holy as we take rest, as we experience this, this holy rest. Now, I, I'm not advocating this morning, and please don't hear me, that we return to the days when stores were closed on Sunday. I think that, that train has left the station But I am calling us to reconsider the importance of holy rest in the rhythm of our lives. And if something is out of whack with regard to that, and you know better than anybody else about whether that's true for you, then we need to do something about it. If you believe, as I do, that we have been wired by God to have rest, have this kind of holy rest, this Sabbath rest, as a regular part of our life, and you presently can't find any time in your schedule even to think about it, much much less do anything about it, then my simple question to you this morning is this, what are you going to do about it? This, This one thing I know. When... When we find that place of holy rest, and it's elusive sometimes, but it, it, we, we can find it. When we find it in the midst of our busyness, when we find it in the midst of running our kids back and forth to all of their after-school events, when we find it in the midst of, you know, sending a zillion emails to the people that need to hear from us, whatever. When we find it, we will become so refreshed by the simple act of, of, of resting in that place that we will wonder what took us so long. Really. To return to a rhythm of life that includes holy rest is to ultimately find ourselves in God again. Where we were meant to be all along. As each of us seeks to find this place of holy rest this week, and it may be different for, for, for each of us, I'm sure it is, will you join me in praying uh, a prayer that might articulate some of what you may have been thinking or thinking about your life and the need that you have to restore this place of holy rest in your life? Let's pray this prayer together. God, I am tired. My life is out of control. Help me find holy rest by the power of your Spirit. God, I am tired. I find myself captured in busyness and don't know how to extract myself from the demands my life places on me. God, I am tired. Give me the joy of a renewed spirit and holy rest so that I can find myself in you again. And God's people said, Amen.